blessing. Losing what God has for you, backsliding off the land of blessing. Going to read you a quote, most important quote of the sermon. Alan Redpath said this, There is no level of Christian experience to which any of us may attain from which we may not ultimately go back. That is a challenging word in a very scary word in some sense, what, what he just said. What is he saying? It doesn't matter how long a Christian you be. doesn't matter how long you've been sold out to God. You're still in danger of not losing your salvation, but losing what God had, had for you. It doesn't matter if you're a lay person or a preacher. There is a guy who's a great Christian apologist. He died recently. And I mean, he spoke at college campuses all the time. Brilliant, brilliant scholar. High esteem among all evangelicals. Okay? But there's some things that came out about a year ago before he died that he wasn't being too moral about some stuff. And he's dead now and more stuff is coming out. So like Alan Redpath said, there is no level of Christian experience, even if you're a lay person or you are a worldwide known speaker for evangelicals to which many of us may attain, from which we may not ultimately go back. And that's what was happening to the Israelites. Um, they were, I mean, that Joshua warned them about. They are now in the promised land. They have now divided up their, the land where God intended them to be. They were where God wanted them to be. And Joshua said, now listen, y'all need to be careful. Because if you fall back, you will lose what God had for you. Now, this applies to our nation right now. There is no doubt that America in recent centuries, I mean, God raised up America to be a Christian nation so we'd have religious liberty. And that's gone on since the founding of this nation. God has blessed our nation despite our weaknesses. He has made us very prosperous. And I believe one of the reasons God made us prosperous is so that we can get the gospel and fund it to the rest of the world. But now we are facing possibly more and more outright Christian persecution. I'm just speaking morally. I'm not speaking politically. But one thing that our possible, we think, current president's going to do, along with his cohorts, is he wants to enact the Equality Act within 100 days. You know what the Equality Act is? You cannot discriminate against LGBTQ+, homosexuals. And you know what's going to start happening? Christian businesses. Homosexuals will purposely go to those Christian businesses and try to apply, and that Christian business cannot turn them down, because if they do, they face lawsuits. And you're going to see that happening left and right. 
we have put something in our bylaws that we uh, about protecting our church from that. Okay, and you'll be voting on those bylaws in a couple of months. Next month. It applies to our nation how we can fall back from what God had for us, this Christian nation. It applies to our churches. I have a friend of mine, and it seems like God calls him to these churches. I guess God's just given him a gift for this. He pastored a church in Augusta, Georgia. 1,200 seats in that church. It was one of the leading churches in downtown Augusta. You know how many people are there now in 1,200 seat auditorium? 80 to 100. It was a church that at one time was in the promised land, but it fell back. It applies also to our lives. How many times have I seen, I'm just thinking off the top of my head, there was a guy at my last church, and when I went there, he was on fire for God. God had rescued him from drugs, and he became a really good friend of mine. And he was on fire for God. Now, he was already saved before I got there. He was on fire before I got there. But I just remember he was one of the most on-fire guys at that church. He really liked Promise Keepers, that men's organization. He was always getting us to go on that thing, and he was just fired up. And then before too long, I, I saw less frequent church attendance. That's a warning. Less and less church attendance. And I, I went back to him, Stephen, we really need to get you to church. We really, we really want you back in church. And I could just tell he was cold. Not at me, but he had cooled off from being in the promised land. And I'm telling you what, after me being there at that church 15 years, I was at my last church 15 years. Those first two years he was on fire but then he slowly dropped out of church and he never came back and he died just a couple of years ago. He had lost what he could have had during those 15 years. Now, with that in mind, I'm going to tell you what the Bible says about this. Paul warned young Timothy, a pastor, Timothy, my son, here are my instructions for you. Based on the prophetic words spoken about you earlier, may they help you fight well in the Lord's battles. And that's on Joshua. Cling to your faith in Christ and keep your conscience clear. For some people have deliberately violated their consciences. As a result, their faith has been shipwrecked. They haven't lost their salvation, but they've run ashore of sin and backsliddenness, if that's a word. You know, you may be here every Sunday now, but you may let it cool off. And I'm not just talking about church attendance. I'm talking about if you're really walking with God, you may cool off and shipwreck your Christian life. That's what my friend Stephen did. Now, with that in mind, we're going to talk about a warning that Joshua gave these people about not backsliding off the land of blessing. Okay? And we're going to do this pretty quick. First of all, how the land of blessing was secured. How did they get in there? 
How did they get to the promised land? Well, first of all, there was a past deliverance. Look at what Joshua said in Joshua 23, 1-3. Now, it came about after many days. So they'd already been the promised land after many days. This is probably several years. Now, it came about after many days when the Lord had given rest to Israel from all their enemies on every side. And Joshua's old, advanced in years, that Joshua called for all Israel for their elders and their heads and their judges and their officers and said to him, I am old, advanced in years. And you have seen in the past all the Lord has done to all these nations because of you. For the Lord your God is He who's been fighting for you. They're in the power of God. See, I've apportioned to you these nations which remain as inheritance for your tribe. Remember, 12 tribes spread out through the land. With all the nations which... I have cut off from the Jordan even to the great sea, that's the Mediterranean Sea, toward the setting of the sun. And so God had promised them some 400 years earlier to Abraham that he was going to give them this promised land. Remember, they ended up under Egyptian rule and Egyptian bondage because they ended up uh, being delivered by Joseph. You know the story. But here's the deal. They were taken out of Egyptian bondage. They had a past deliverance. You can't go into the promised land until you've had a past deliverance, your salvation from your sin. Okay? How did they get there? They had a past deliverance. But you know another thing about them? They had a present deliverance that was still going on. Look what it says right here, Joshua 23, verse 5. The Lord your God, He will... He will thrust them out. He's speaking presently now because they still got more land to conquer. they still got more potential. The Lord your God, He will thrust them out from before you and drive them out from before you and you will possess the land. That's their potential just as the Lord your God promised you. It's not enough just to write off our past victories. You know, a lot of people, you ask them, what's your testimony? And all they can do is talk about how they were saved, but nothing's going on now in their life. They can't give a testimony of recent answered prayers. They can't give a testimony of what God is doing in their life and what God is teaching them. All they can say is, well, I was saved when I was 10 years old and I was baptized. Praise the Lord. They're writing off their past deliverance when God wants to give us, now that we're a Christian, present deliverance. More and more territory for God in our hearts. There's a present deliverance. Now here's the next thing. How was the land kept? How did Joshua tell them, okay, you've got the land, now don't fall off the land. Don't lose your potential that God has for you. How was the land kept? First of all, there must be no going back. Look what it says right here, Joshua 23, 12-13. For if you ever go back, There it is. And cling to the rest of these nations, these godless, idol-worshiping nations. These which remain among you, they weren't all driven out yet, when they hadn't reached their potential. And intermarry with them so that you associate with them and they with you. Know with certainty that the Lord your God, key words, will not continue to drive these nations out from before you. But they will be a snare and a trap for you. 
and a whip on your sides and thorns in your eyes until you perish, look at that, off this good land which the Lord your God has given you. He's warning them there must be no going back. There must be no going back to Egypt or going back to the wilderness of sin the way they used to behave before they were saved. They've got to keep going forward. Don't go back. That applies, listen to this, that applies to churches. How many churches, maybe in the 60s or 70s, they had a lot of growth. And you know what they'll talk, and maybe their attendance has gone down. And you know what a lot of people will say, those who've been there a long time? Boy, I tell you what, we need to go back to what we were doing back then. We need to have youth choirs. We need to have a family life center. We need to take all our kids to Ridgecrest. And you know what they're doing? They're riding off and trying to implement something that was in a totally different generation. There's got to be a present deliverance. There's got to be, we're not turning back. Can I tell you something? I want you to listen to me very clear. I grew up in a traditional Baptist church. And I got a lot of that in me, okay? Uh, but even though I've got that background, which I'm thankful for, you know what I believe? You don't monkey with this. You don't monkey with the message, but I want to tell you something, the methods change. And a lot of people get this confused. They think the methods you shouldn't monkey with, and they're like, well, flip on this, and they toss it to the side. You must not go back. That doesn't mean we can't learn from things. Surely the Israelites learned from their past deliverance. They've learned through the wilderness experience. They've crossed over to Egypt. They're right here. But God said, keep your eyes focused right here. I like it this way. If you are in a car and you keep looking in the mirror, guess what's going to happen? You're going to run off the road. Many churches have run off the road because all they can think about was 1950 or 1970. This is the way we used to do it then. Oh, our church was great. Oh, our church is great. Well, why don't you help move it forward and do something greater in the future? Y'all should have said amen right there. Amen. Okay, I'll do it for you. As Johnny Hunt would say, Gail, he'd, he'd get off stage. He said, I'm glad I came here to hear myself say that this morning. Okay. <laughs> Okay, <laughs> all right. Uh, so, well, there must be no turning back. I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. Jesus doesn't go back that way. Jesus goes this way. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning back. And here's the next thing. There must be no fellowship with the enemy. As I say this, you can't play footsie with the devil. Now, I love my wife. I love her to death. And one of the things I do when we're at Calabama or whatever we're eating, we may be sitting aside of another, but every now and then I just put that foot over there and I rub her foot. I'm playing footsie with my wife. That's okay to play footsie with your wife. Don't play footsie with somebody else's wife, okay? And, uh, <laughs> and don't play footsie with the devil. He'll get you every time. He'll grab your toe. He'll get toe hold, then he'll get a foothold, then he'll get a leg hold, and he'll get a stronghold on you and bring you in defeat, and you'll fall back from the land of blessing. 
Now look what he says right here. So that you will not associate with these nations, that is, become best buds and wrap your arm around them and fall into their culture. These which remain you or mention the name of their gods or make anyone swear by them or serve them or bow down to them. For if you ever go back and cling to the rest of these nations instead of God, these which remain among you and intermarry with them so that you associate with them and they with you. Listen to a verse right here. It's not on the screen. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 6, 14-17, Don't team up with those who are unbelievers. How can righteousness be a partner with wickedness? How can light live with darkness? What harmony can there be between Christ and the devil? How can a believer be a partner with an unbeliever? And what union can there be between God's temple and idols? For we are the temple of the living God, as God has said. I will live in them and walk among them, and I will be their God and they will be my people. Therefore, he's saying this to the Corinthians, who were a bunch of backslidden Baptists who had fallen out of the land of blessing. They're behaving like they used to be. And Paul said to them, Therefore come out among yourselves from unbelievers and separate yourselves from them, says the Lord. Do not touch their filthy things. They've gone back into heaven prostitutes. And I will welcome you into my presence back into the promised land spiritually. Now I had a church member ask me a really, really good question. You know, if we're not this, you know, it says there we're not to associate with unbelievers. I mean, you know, you know how, do you, how do you do that? Because, you know, the Bible says we're also to be salt and light. Hey, salt can't affect the meat if it ain't on the meat, right? Salt, I mean, light will not show light unless it's in darkness. We saw these lights flickering a little bit ago. I think it was the devil trying to mess up that bus kid video. But if these lights were to go out, there would be darkness. When the light comes on, it dissipates the darkness. So how do you handle all that? Well, the Bible teaches us we ought to be insulated, but not isolated. Okay? Monks said in order to live godly life, remember that? They decide to isolate themselves. Well, how can you penetrate the gospel? How can you be salt and light to a dark world if you hide yourself away? Now, what Jesus was saying here, let there be no compromise. Don't hook up with them to where you're being like them. Do not conform to this world, Paul said, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Listen, you need to be around lost people. And as long as you're being an influence on them and they're not being an influence on you and the two of you are going down together, then we've got to reach them. But that doesn't mean we have to join in with them. The Bible says in Psalm 1, do not walk in the counsel of the wicked. That's why whenever anybody says, I need some counsel, I need some counsel, you know what I say? Find you a godly psychiatrist. Find you a godly psychologist because they see things from a Christian worldview. The Bible says don't walk in the counsel of unbelievers. There must be no fellowship with the enemy. Now here's the third thing. We're going to wrap this up. There must be no division of heart. 
Joshua 23, 11. So take diligent heed to yourselves to love the Lord your God. You can't stay here unless you're sold out to Jesus. Unless all of your heart is loving Him. So, what happens uh, next? There's the consequences when the land is lost. See, you may have gotten saved. You may, God may have carried you through a little backslidden stage. You may be one of these lukewarm believers right here and the borderline believers. And finally, you end up in the promised land. You're fired up for Jesus. You're sold out for Him. You're loving Him with all your heart. And then all of a sudden, as Alan Redpath said, it don't matter how long you've lived here, all of us could fall back. And so what happens when we fall back? There are consequences. Yes, you can obey God. Yes, you can... Obey Him and then lose it. You can disobey God. Excuse me, that's what I meant to say. You can disobey God and lose out of here. What do you lose? First of all, there's a loss of power. Look what it says right here in Psalm, uh, Joshua 23, 12 through 13a. For if you ever go back and cling to the rest of these nations, these which remain among you and intermarry with them so that you associate with them and they with you, now watch this, the loss of power. Know with certainty that the Lord your God will not continue to drive out these nations before you. Remember that one time they conquered Jericho because God brought it down and the next time they decided to go without God and they failed at Ai? They didn't have the power of God. And I'm telling you, when you're not here, you won't have the power of God. You know one thing I want to do? I may not be the greatest preacher you've ever heard. I may not be the greatest pastor that you've ever had. But I know one thing, I don't want to lose my power. I want to stay here and have that authority and power with God in preaching and pastoring and seek His will. Hey, here's another thing, one reason I don't want to do that because you'll have a lost peace. First time you know that you've gotten out of here, you'll lose your peace. And if, you ever had, if you've ever had peace with God, the peace of God, you'll know you're here. If you've never said, I've had supernatural peace, you know what that means? You never experienced it. And once you're here and you have the peace of God, you know God's in control of everything in your life, you'll have the peace of God. You get over here and you're going to fret, you're going to lose your peace. There's the loss of peace. Now here's the next thing, and the saddest thing. There's the loss of potential. Joshua 23, 16. When you transgress the covenant of the Lord your God, which He commanded you, and go and serve other gods and bow down to them, then the anger of the Lord will burn against you, and you will perish quickly from off the good land which He has given you. What a shame when God wants to use you in an awesome way. But He can't because you've backslidden off the land of blessing. What a tragedy when God has so many wonderful plans for a church and there's people always looking back. We need to go back. We need to go back. We need to go back the way we did things before. And they've lost their potential because they won't go ahead and have present victories and conquer their promised land. Can I tell you something? God has a plan for this church. 
That's good, Brother Jeff. That's good. Okay? I'll amen myself. Okay? There's a loss of potential. So let me, let me pull this in. Losing what God had for you. How the land of blessing was secured. There was a past deliverance. There's a present deliverance. How do we reach our potential? Because we've had a past deliverance, but we don't ride off our past deliverance, our salvation. We want a present deliverance of God to help us reach potential in our lives and our church. How the land was kept, how you stay in this land. There must be no going back. There must be no fellowship with the enemy. And there must be no division of your heart. You can't compartmentalize Jesus. He's got to be everything to you. The consequences of when the land is lost. Oh, there are consequences. You'll lose your power as an individual. We'll lose God's power in this church. We may be small, but I'm going to tell you something. I feel God's power in this place. You know what Steve told me when he first got here? He said, we've been visiting around different churches, but we feel the Holy Spirit in this place. He saw power in this place. There's a loss of peace. And there's a loss of potential. Let me tell you this story and then we'll close. How many of you have ever heard of Einstein, Albert Einstein? Raise your hand, okay? If you've heard of Albert Einstein, that's pretty much all of us here. We hear about him in school. He's the one with the funky hair, but he was real smart, okay? How? Thank you, Marianne. Um, have you ever heard of Sir Isaac Newton, who discovered the law of gravity? Yeah, there we go. And then the apple fell, you know, all that kind of thing. All right. But how many of you have ever heard of William James Sidus? I didn't figure you had. Let me tell you what I learned about him. Einstein had an IQ of 160. Sir Isaac Newton had an IQ of 190. William James Sides had an IQ of 260, almost double of Einstein. You may ask, Brother Jeff, what was your IQ? I don't know. I failed the test. Okay. Anyway, um, but listen to what, uh, don't amen that. I've been trying to get y'all to say amen. You amen it at the wrong time. Thank you, Steve. All right. There was a website I read recently. I was kind of doing some research on him, and here's what this guy it's, it's called the Innovation Website. Uh, it's a kind of a blog, a publishing kind of website. And there was an author, and his name was Only Gurov. That's his name, Only Gurov. And here's what he said about this William James um, Sidus. He mastered six different languages by the age of six. He taught himself. And he entered Harvard University at the age of 11. Now, this is what guy lived a long time ago. But he entered Harvard University at the age of 11. He even invented his own language in a pretend nation called Utopia. And he wrote the language for Utopia. He wrote their own constitution for Utopia. But you know what? He became very famous at the time. Look at this guy. He's so smarter than Einstein. He's smarter than Sir Isaac Newton. But you know what? He didn't like that fame. 
And so you know what he did? Instead of coming up with awesome inventions and awesome theories like Einstein and Newton, you know what he did? He withdrew from society. He worked menial jobs. And here's what this writer said. Boy, he doesn't get it. Though there was constant media attention and the continued pressure to contribute to the world, he successfully escaped that and led a life as a normal man. Here's a guy who had incredible potential. Could he have come up with the cure of cancer? Could he have solved all these problems that we're still facing today? But you know what he did? He lost the potential God had for him. So let's don't lose and backslide off the land of blessing. With your head bowed and your eyes closed.